Welcome to another edition of ABI Podcast, which features conversations with prominent figures in the bankruptcy world to discuss topics of interest to our members. I'm Juliette Morangello, resident scholar at the American Bankruptcy Institute. I am pleased to welcome as my guest today, Melissa Jacoby, the George L. Ward Professor of Law at the University of North Carolina School of Law. The topic of our discussion today is rethinking small business bankruptcy. Professor Jacoby is a prolific bankruptcy scholar who writes on both consumer and business bankruptcy issues. She is very well situated uh, to discuss today's topic because she is a member of of the National Bankruptcy Conference and is a member of that group's small business working group. In addition, before entering academia, Professor Jacoby was a senior staff attorney for the National Bankruptcy Review Commission, which considered various approaches to small business bankruptcy. Thank you for joining me, Melissa. Well, thanks for having me, Juliet. Um, today we're discussing various ideas for reforming small business bankruptcy. A small business that is organized as an entity, such as a corporation, cannot file for Chapter 13. Therefore, Chapter 11 is the only bankruptcy option for many bi- small businesses in financial distress. Most bankruptcy professionals, however, agree that Chapter 11 is a poor fit for small businesses. Um, Melissa, what are some of the reasons for that poor fit? Uh, let me just note that I'll be speaking for myself and not on behalf of any group, but I'm certainly glad to talk about the projects that you've mentioned. The standard concern is that Chapter 11 is really oriented around large publicly held companies, and even though they're the minority of Chapter 11s, but have a, a, a significant effect certainly on the economy, um, because they're oriented around the larger publicly held cases, the process is thought to be too expensive and complicated for smaller debtors and their creditors. But there are a lot of different elements that go into that expense and complexity. But I think beyond that, Chapter 11 structure is premised on a certain level of uh, active creditor involvement that isn't happening in small business cases. So there may be a dominant secured creditor or a tax creditor, and it's just not cost-effective for other creditors to get involved. And so this leads to a couple things. First, if there's an imbalance in the negotiations and also in the oversight of the cases. And then if you go further than that, I think sometimes creditors don't even bother to vote in small business cases because they don't have a sufficient economic interest in following the case. And under the current rules for Chapter 11, that means you can't get the plan confirmed if you can't get enough creditors to vote. So those kind of problems make the structure ill-fitting in addition to the, the cost concerns that are so often mentioned. So it's, it's really for small businesses too complicated, too cumbersome, too expensive, and, and the requirements are, are so uh, complicated that a, a business can't get a plan confirmed. Um, the 2005 BAPSIPA amendments added some specific provisions that cover small business Chapter 11, and, and the code has its definition of, of small business debtor as any person engaged in commercial or business activities whose aggregate non-contingent liquidated secured and unsecured debts are not more than uh, a little bit over $2 million. Um, What were some of the main reasons for um, including the 2005 amendments? So that part of the 2005 amendments came from 
1997 uh, Bankruptcy Commission Working Group on Small Business, at least originally. They went through some changes over time. And that working group had concerns that I think could be described as wanting to deter some small business bankruptcies because they were concerned that small businesses were languishing in bankruptcy uh, and that they had no prospect of reorganizing, but that there were insufficient ways to eject them from the, the process. Uh, so the goal was to uh, expedite the process, impose more firm deadlines, quicker deadlines, and then if they didn't meet those deadlines, that they would be um, kicked out. Now, I was looking back on the commission materials recently, and I think it's useful to also think about the other side of that issue. So there was a dissent written by Babette Sakati and Judge Bob Ginsburg um, that were really concerned about the assumptions going into those proposals uh, and their effect. So they do sort of create a double standard for access to Chapter 11. Um, you'd be putting more obligations on small businesses than big businesses. And if they were saying this today, I guess that means more obligations for Main Street than Wall Street, although it doesn't fit perfectly. Um, and also, they expressed concern about reducing judicial discretion, sort of replacing uh, standards with rules, which ended up fitting very well with the theme of the 2005 amendments overall. Right. But here, um, Judge Ginsburg and Ms. Sakati ended up being right, because empirical research has shown that judges do a pretty good job of identifying non-viable cases and um, removing them from the system, although not all judges are necessarily comfortable with having to exercise that oversight role. Right. And, and so putting more obligations on these small businesses seems in a way sort of in, inconsistent with trying to um, reduce the, the cost for small businesses um, in uh, filing for Chapter 11. What was really the practical effect of these amendments now that now that they've been in place for five years? Well, I think that these amendments combined with other pieces of the of BAPSIPA to increase obstacles to small businesses reorganizing. Now, some of the provisions that do that don't have the label small business on them at all. Right. Uh, they apply to all Chapter 11 cases, but one expects that a large publicly held company may be better able to handle some of these increased requirements, uh, such as those dealing with utility payments or rec reclamation, mm -hmm. than, uh, than the smallest businesses can. But the, the small business provisions specifically uh, also themselves increase obstacles to small business reorganization because they do raise the costs uh, of uh, compliance mm -hmm. um, and also increase the, the, the penalties for for failure to comply. Um, and that's why uh, the, the National Bankruptcy Conference's white paper that circulated in early January of 2010 right. that talks about uh, current problems with small businesses and uh, proposes Chapter 12 as a potential way to, to deal with it, um, it talks about BAPSIPA as being one of the concerns that led to some of the proposals to rethink uh, uh, small business bankruptcy. Well, that's that's a great segue to the next question that I wanted to ask. Um, only a small percentage of small business cases result um, in a plan of reorganization, and most small business cases are converted to Chapter 7 or they're dismissed. And so I, I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, some of the, the reasons for the high failure rate 
of small business chapter 11s? I mean, is the high failure rate mainly the result of, of the poor fit that we've been talking about, the, the provisions in chapter 11 that make it just too expensive and, and too cumbersome for a, a small business to get a plan confirmed? Or are there other reasons for the high failure rate um, that, that might have something to do with the uh, financial condition of small businesses that file for Chapter 11? Well, I think there's a couple things you want to keep in mind. Um, it's partially the, the concerns about current Chapter 11, but there are some other, some other issues here. I think the first one that I think is worth mentioning is trying even to define success or failure in Chapter 11. We know this is not a problem limited to uh, small business cases, but for cases really of all sizes, Chapter 11 has become a forum uh, for creditors and debtors to work things out in ways that don't always require getting all the way to a plan confirmation, let alone plan completion. So if we're thinking about a distressed small business that has to work with, say, a taxing authority or, or a dominant secured creditor, and, and bankruptcy becomes the form that forces those negotiations, it's possible that some cases are getting worked out without getting to confirmation. But assuming that's not always the reason, um, I think we also have to remember that small businesses close their doors really all the time, uh, and entrepreneurs start over and over and over again. Uh, and I think that's going to be true whether there's a good bankruptcy system or a bad bankruptcy system or no bankruptcy system at all. Uh, so most businesses that, that fail, they fail outside of bankruptcy. They don't go into the federal bankruptcy process to try to restructure. Um, so I think the fact that small businesses do have financial vulnerabilities and fail frequently is not itself a reason to give up on reorganizing the ones that can succeed. Uh, I think it's just part of the landscape that we have to deal with. And to the extent that small businesses are thought to be so critical to our economy, uh, that's something that continues to be worth investing in. I, uh, you may have seen the Congressional Oversight Panel just issued its report on small business lending and starts with the assumption of how important small businesses are to the economy and expressing concern about the lack of lending going on to small, the small business sector. And I think uh, focusing on small business reorganization dovetails with those concerns pretty well. Um, but... Just one more thing on your uh, on your question about non uh, non completion or failure to confirm a plan. Um, I, I do think that the law matters here, uh, mm -hmm. and that the impact of bankruptcy law itself on the prospect of reorganization really has to be thought out more carefully in connection with realities about small business restructuring. Right. It's just not the same as the large public company uh, and really those dynamics have to be kept in account. And so reducing the burdens imposed by current bankruptcy law, I think, is really important. Yeah, absolutely. And so you know, before we talk about um, spe uh, specific uh, proposals to reform uh, the bankruptcy code to better accommodate the problems of small businesses, um, overall, really, what's the balance that should be struck by any changes to the bankruptcy code to accommodate small businesses? Well, I do think that the balance to be struck does have to take into account that there 
are non-viable businesses that may seek to try to reorganize and that there has to be ways to identify those relatively early in the process mm-hmm. in a way that, that can be done with sufficient discussion, and also to protect creditor interests, which are so fundamental to basic bankruptcy principles. But there have to be ways to do that mm-hmm. uh, and ways to manage fears of non-viable cases um, in ways that don't overtake the basic bankruptcy policy of to reorganize the ones that are viable. So, for example, uh, some proposals that have been discussed would bring a private trustee into the process to both uh, be a more effective monitor earlier in the case uh, and also uh, help facilitate negotiations to have a more, uh, to make sure that all creditors are being treated equally, even if they economically can't afford to participate in the process. Mm-hmm. So um, the striking the right balance requires taking into account the realities, again, of, of the dynamics of small businesses and their creditors. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit about some um, possible, more specific ways to improve uh, bankruptcy for small businesses. I know that you've been involved in at least two proposals aimed at improving the bankruptcy code to better accommodate small businesses, both the National Bankruptcy Review Commission proposal from the late 90s and the recent National Bankruptcy Conference proposal to expand Chapter 12 to include small businesses. And I understand that um, there there may be other reform proposals currently in the works. what are some of the pluses and minuses of the various approaches? Uh, in other words, um, the the pluses and minuses of amending Chapter 11 or perhaps expanding Chapter 12, the, the family farmer chapter, to include small businesses. And um, what would be some of the potential objections to reforming bankruptcy law at all to better accommodate small businesses? So I'd add just a third category there of a new, uh, entirely new chapter for small business, which to uh, some sure. listeners may seem like uh, we're going backwards in time here, but the circumstances have changed since 1978, and there may be good reasons to, to rethink that, that mm. idea as well. And I should note that I've been fortunate to be involved with many of these uh, groups, but I, I'm speaking just for myself now as in my, in my observations here. Sure. Um, so let me mention a couple things about the related benefits of using Chapter 12, and I think there are at least three. Um, One is you start with an off-the-rack structure that will address some of the very issues that we've been talking about, Um, the the monitoring deficits or limitations, um, dealing with only having certain creditors that are, are active in the case and many creditors not being able to afford to be active, uh, talking about businesses of a relatively small, modest size and the like. So you'd be drawing the rules and principles that the system already has experience with rather than trying to draft an entire chapter Mm -hmm. um, from scratch. Also, ordinary small businesses face some of the same challenges as debtors who are now in Chapter 12. Um, the The third benefit of using Chapter 12 is that uh, at least to me, is that it, it offers less disruption to large business Chapter 11. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there, we could have a whole other podcast, and I'm sure you have, about aspects of large Chapter 11s that probably need to be changed. Mm-hmm. But 
that should be done directly and not by negative implication. And it gets a little bit tricky when you start picking out pieces of Chapter 11 that you don't want to apply, certain substantive rules that you don't want to apply to small businesses and how that, how that affects uh, its application to, to large businesses. So um, those are sort of structural benefits of Chapter 12. And the, the, the specific Chapter 12 proposal is on the Internet on the National uh, Bankruptcy Conference's website. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you mentioned uh, the drawbacks to using Chapter 12 or any of these approaches. Um, I think the one that has already become apparent from the hearing that has taken place is that some people don't really like the substance of the off-the-rack rules that we take from Chapter 12 um, because some of the creditor rights that are currently found in Chapter 11 are not in Chapter 12. Mm -hmm. So most prominently, claim holders do not vote. Um, Chapter 12 permits home mortgage modification. There's no absolute priority rule. So the American Bankers Association doesn't want those rules applying to all small business cases because we'd be talking about uh, taking a chapter that currently had about 500 filings last year in calendar year 2009 and adding thousands and thousands and thousands of small business cases to them. And uh, it's also the case that lots of judicial districts um, haven't had as much experience with Chapter 12 as, right. as certain ones. Um, they certainly had plenty of experience with Chapter 13, um, which is a whole other idea that one could uh, expand uh, to put chap- uh, small businesses in, but uh, that one hasn't been floated recently. Uh, and one other objection to Chapter 12 may be by those who really want to protect Chapter 12's structure for family farmers and fisheries. So those who were originally involved in the creation of Chapter 12 or its expansion to fisheries, I suspect, without knowing directly, that they may be concerned about the dilution of, of that chapter um, and the protections that it currently offers once it starts being offered to everybody mm. that fits a certain um, debt profile or the like. Right. And, and in your discussion of Chapter 12, you actually um, point to some... Um, uh, drawbacks of amending Chapter 11, of you know pulling certain things out of Chapter 11, and to whom do they apply, and, and changing those. But um, what would be some of the advantages of just amending Chapter 11? Well, I think the first thing is that where the reforms are in the code really does matter less than whether they're responsive to the current shortcomings. Mm-hmm. So I think at the end of the day, the goal is to get the, the law right with respect to certain kinds of debtors, and thus one can't rule anything out uh, categorically. Uh, We already have practice and a track record with uh, starting to carve out certain pieces of Chapter 11 for small businesses. Now, under current law, those are mandatory, assuming that debtors check the box that they're small businesses, uh, but the law technically applies to debtors who fit the definition. Uh, The proposals that have been floating around are not necessarily mandatory. Right. Um, they would be uh, optional. So that could create a little bit of a complexity, but it's so, certainly not possible. Um, and, of course, even though we're, we have a difference in size, um, Chapter 11's provisions, at least on their face, do not automatically um, lend themselves exclusively to the biggest, uh, the, the, the biggest cases. So one imagines that even if there were a separate chapter or 
if Chapter 12 were back on the table, that many features of Chapter 11 would ultimately end up in the small business law one way or another. So that would be another advantage to keeping uh, Chapter 11 as the place. But again, we see lots of different hybrid approaches, of, uh, and in the past we've talked about Chapter 11S, or uh, we can come up with different numbered chapters. Uh, they're, they're just different, different approaches already mm-hmm. that they're already historical precedent for. Now, you said something interesting in, in, well, you said many things interesting in your answer, but I want to focus on, on one, and that is, you know, one of the objections to, say, expand, to uh, expanding Chapter 12 would be, you know, now there would be many, many businesses using, uh, many, many small businesses using Chapter 12, and I guess that, that begs the question that we haven't even touched. Um, at, at the beginning of our discussion, we talked a little bit about, um, uh, the bankruptcy code's current definition of small business, but of course, in in any of these reform proposals, there would have to be a definition of small business. And and I know you and I have talked a little bit about the challenges in defining small business. Um, how do you even come up with a definition that will make both the debtor businesses or potential debtor businesses and their creditors happy? Well, this really is the challenge, uh, and we, we see evidence of that because small business is really defined so many different ways across so many different federal laws and policies. So we're more accustomed to debt-based definitions. Uh, other laws uh, may use revenue-based definitions, number of employees. Uh, again, the Congressional Oversight Panel recent report actually catalogs many of those ways that it's defined and talks about the challenges of even getting an empirical picture of small business given those various definitions. But in this context, well, I, I do think it's important to connect the, the definition with whatever is being accomplished. So, mm-hmm. And I do think as a, as a political matter, the more that a proposal deviates from what the Chapter 11 rules are now, the more pressure there will be, presumably by uh, cons- uh, creditor lobbyists and the like, to limit the definition further. I think that's just the reality, and, and to some extent, that's an appropriate debate. And that's because the creditors want to have as much say as they can in the reorganization, right? Well, that's the big difference between Chapter 11 and Chapter 12, among others, is the vote, um, is the, the existence of the creditors' committee, uh, is the absolute priority rule, mm-hmm. is the home mortgage modification, which I don't think is really that central to small business credit at the moment, but is still an issue that I know that people have been talking about. So there's a little bit of a tension here because the the, the whole assumption behind the languishing of uh, Chapter 11s that was talked about in the 1997 Commission's Small Business Working Group is that creditors had a certain level of apathy uh, about the cases or lack of economic, sufficient economic interest to stay very involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, uh, now that's being discussed, uh, uh, that creditors also need um, all these, they need to retain their franchise, they need all these different tools. Um, it's hard to square those two factors together because uh, if, if we have a track record of creditors not being that involved, it becomes a little less clear uh, what those tools are actually doing. Nonetheless, they are significant st- 
structural protections. They're worth discussing. Um, and I think that the challenge for a good, balanced proposal, coupled with a good definition of small business, does need to take into account fair protections for sure. all different creditors. And I think that uh, the other thing is that uh, this is not just a debtor versus creditor issue. This is a creditor sure. versus creditor right. issue. There are a lot of distributional uh, consequences here. There is value in some of these businesses that would not necessarily go to secured creditors. Uh, and uh, so I know that for the proposal that was submitted in early uh, January by the National Bankruptcy Conference, uh, the report talks about this issue and the alternative ways of protecting creditor interest that we already see in Chapter 12 and we already see in Chapter 13 in a much larger number of cases where um, we have rules that protect creditors in a different way than the vote uh, or in a different way than a creditor's committee. But they are requirements for confirmation of plans. Right. So uh, I think I know that a $10 million debt uh, definition was originally discussed. There was certainly pushback to that at a hearing uh, that was held in the Senate, which is, I think that this issue is very much in flux. And I would suspect that the the legislation, if any legislation develops, uh, and I commend Senator Whitehouse for taking the lead on this issue, um, my guess is that it would have a, a more restrictive definition than that, but mm -hmm. uh, I think that, that remains to be seen. Well, just to wrap up, just one more question for you. Um, if you had to identify a few essential elements of any change to the code to address the problems of small businesses, what would those essential elements be? Well, I think there are certain common denominators in the many details that have been discussed. And I, the two, two big crude categories would be reducing expense mm -hmm. for the benefit of both the debtor and creditors, um, and also adjustment to the assumption underlying Chapter 11 of broad creditor involvement. Um, so for expense, there have been several types of proposals floating around. Um, streamlining the reporting and disclosure requirements, keeping in mind the purpose to be served and that they don't have to be SEC-style, mm -hmm. um, very thick disclosures for the parties in interest that need to be protected. Um, there's been talk about um, permitting the employment of pre-petition professionals because they already have a, a, a body of knowledge about the business. Mm. Um, so changing some of the standards uh, relating to professionals could significantly reduce the, the cost of the cases. Um, paying administrative costs over time in the plan rather than requiring them at confirmation would be a way to allow a viable small business to uh, be able to... Um, confirm a plan or come up with a feasible, confirmable plan um, while honoring those obligations. Um, and on the creditor involvement point, um, we've talked about some of these issues already, but mm -hmm. just to, to gather a few of them up, uh, furthering the assumption that we already have started in the code, um, that there's probably not going to be a creditor's committee mm -hmm. in these small cases, and that we cannot rely on that body to uh, provide the monitoring and oversight and counterbalance to other creditors that we see in the bigger cases. Um, what that might mean is a trustee, a private trustee in every case, um, hopefully not being required to incur a lot of expense in all cases, but um, as to perform some of the roles that we see that they do in um, 
in the entrepreneur Chapter 13 cases or in the Chapter 12 cases. Um, failure to vote on a plan would not necessarily be uh, a barrier to going forward. So basically shifting the presumption of silence. Uh, right now, silence basically means no. Um, we could shift silence to mean yes, in, uh, or Congress could shift mm-hmm. silence to mean yes in a, in a small business case. Um, and then finally, we, you could have a system that expects less creditor participation but creates incentives mm. um, for creditors to participate in small business cases. Um, you could have different confirmation requirements depending on whether... Um, uh, creditors are on board or not. Uh, we have some precedent for that in the code right now, but um, uh, we could uh, it was, we could sort of think about ways to combine pieces of Chapter 12 and Chapter 13 um, and give some carrots to creditors to to be more involved. So, um, but all of that falls under the idea that we need to change the assumption that creditors will be uh, actively involved mm-hmm. and well represented in small business cases. I don't think that's something that can only be done by a U.S. trustee. Um, it's uncomfortable in the, in our, under our 1978 code for all of it to be done by a judge. So you can shift some of these rules to, to make that happen. Well, you've certainly um, put a lot of interesting ideas out there, and it, it will certainly be interesting to see what reforms actually come out. So. So thanks again so much for joining me, Melissa. Um, I've enjoyed talking to you. Well, thank you very much. And I'm sure that the ABI members will enjoy listening to our conversation. From the ABI, this is Juliette Morangello. Thank you for listening.